Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word tonight. Our Father in heaven, God, in Jesus' name, we count it an honor and a privilege, Lord, to come to you one more time on this side of heaven. God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your Word. I pray that we add nothing to nor take nothing away from your precious Word. God, we just ask you, Lord, to bless us richly tonight. Thank you for these that are in your house. Lord, take time out of their schedule to be in worship tonight. Lord, I pray you would bless us. Bless us indeed. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. We're going to skip around again tonight and look at several different pieces of Scripture. But as we approach another study, and we're getting down close to the very end, I believe, uh, including tonight, there may be three more lessons in the series. But as we approach another study, our hearts are made to be humbled tonight. And I believe tears uh, filled my eyes. I know tears did fill my eyes as I studied through this uh, section about the life of Christ. And sometimes I feel like that we just have to take off our shoes because we're walking on holy ground. We're entering into the passion ministry of our Lord, as they call it. Uh, these are the last few hours that He spent on this earth before going to the cross and paying the sin debt for lost humanity. Jesus told His disciples in the upper room that His hour had come. And oh, what an hour it was. This was a holy hour. An hour that had been coming since the Garden of Eden. When God told the serpent that the seed of the woman would bruise his head. This hour has been foretold by prophets throughout the Old Testament. And had been anticipated by the Old Testament saints down through the history of time. There's never been an hour that has changed more lives than this hour we're going to speak to you about tonight. Changed more lives in this hour. It's purchased by the way of redemption, more souls. All relates to this one specific hour. The demands of a holy God were met in this hour. Holy love was displayed in this hour. Sin and Satan were defeated in this hour. Uh, in this hour, a fountain was Open for sin, for the Lamb of God had to come take away the sin of the world. I want us to look tonight at four places where Jesus spent this hour. What kind of hour it was and what it means to us today. I want to go traveling through time if the Lord will be our helper tonight. We're going to start off here in John chapter number 13 in the upper room. As we look at the final hours of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the other world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. First thing I see in that upper room is a table of fellowship. They've met together to eat and to break bread with one another. 
Folks, I'm here to tell you tonight that fellowship is very important in your Christian walk. Fellowship with other believers is very important in your Christian walk. Because if you're not fellowshipping with other believers, you're fellowshipping with a lost world. And I've said it many a times, you lay down with a dog with fleas, you're going to get up with fleas. Uh, some of that lost world will rub off onto you and will affect you in negative ways. Uh, you see, it's uh, difficult at times for uh, the Christian uh, faith and the Christian love to rub off on others that are in this world that have not yet had a conversion with Jesus Christ. You see, you can uh, uh, have very best friends that may be lost tonight. And you may fellowship with them and you may go out to eat with them and and you may uh, uh, go shopping with them or participate in particular activities with them. But when it comes time to go to church and you say, let's go to church, they end up telling you, I don't believe I can make it today. I don't believe I can go uh, to church tonight. Maybe some other time. Folks, it is very, very important with your walk with Christ that you have good Christian brethren and good Christian sisters to fellowship with, to pray with, to help one another bear burdens with. You see, we don't have to walk through this life alone knowing that we're saved and blood-bought. We know that Jesus Christ is going to walk with us. We know He's never going to leave us nor forsake us, and He's going to take care of us, and He's going to be right beside us. But there's something about special Christian friends uh, that we all need. Something that will, uh, someone that will encourage you. That's of flesh and blood. Someone that will uh, look at you and, and try to encourage you when you get discouraged. You see, it is a wonderful thing to have fellowship uh, one with the other. That's why before every service starts, we take that time to fellowship and turn around and, and shake hands with your neighbors. And, and I've heard it uh, uh, many a times about this church. I heard it just last week. Preacher, that's the friendliest church I've ever seen. Well, you know what? It wasn't always that friendly. Uh, when we became the pastor over at the old church nine years ago, this church wasn't that friendly as you see it as it is today. And one of the very first messages, Brother Damon, that we talked to the people was, listen, you're going to have to show yourself friendly if you want people to come to the church. Uh, people are looking for something. They're reaching out in this world for something. And a lot of times it's just good Christian fellowship that they need that's going to help them in their life. There's going to come a time when we all get sick. There's going to come a time when we grow older if God continues to tarry. And, and you know, of course, disregarding any type of fatal accidents, we're going to grow older. We're going to grow older together. And that's where we have to shoulder the load together to where we can be encouragements to one another. You see a table of fellowship here in the upper room. But there's one there in the upper room that's of the devil. His name being of Judas Iscariot. But let's look at verse number 4. Not only do we see a table of fellowship in the upper room, I see a towel of humility. Look at verse number 4. We're going to read through about verse 15. He rises from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. 
Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Speaking of Judas there. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and he sat down again and said unto them, Know ye what have I done to you? You call me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Let me continue to read the next two verses. It's important. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. The washing of the saints' feet. It was a custom in Jesus' days before you would enter into someone's home, they would have their feet washed before they came in. Of course, back then, they either traveled by uh, bare feet uh, from point to place. Now, we know they rode camels and probably horses and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of times, they, uh, when they went from one place to another, they, they would go barefooted. Uh, they would sometimes, uh, if they had uh, uh, the financial means, they would have sandals of some sort made to where they could uh, travel. But through the sands of the desert and through the dirt, uh, their feet would get dirty. And uh, they would have to have their feet washed before they would enter into a home. And Jesus is all of a sudden ready to wash the disciples' feet. And the disciples are like, wait, wait a minute. You're the Lord. And you're going to wash my feet? He said, yep. I sure am. And if I wash your feet, you wash one another's feet. We should have brought out the feet washing buckets tonight. Amen. And uh, and he said, uh, if you know these things, and if you do them, happy are you. In other words, it, and, and it's really a teaching humility is what Jesus is teaching here. I mean, it takes a humble individual to bow down at the feet of another man uh, and take his nasty feet uh, and begin to wash them in a tub of water. Yeah. That takes humility. And that's what it ought to mean to us uh, when we have a feet washing service or we partake in a feet washing service. It ought to bring humility to our hearts uh, and knowing that Jesus uh, led by an example and said, do this one to the other and humble yourselves. You see, a lot of times people will say, well, you don't want to touch my feet. They're they're dirty. Well, they were dirty in Jesus' days too. And I bet you they wasn't no dirtier than those feet. I see a towel of humility. And they would girt themselves with a towel and they would fill a, a basin with water and they would, they would get down at their feet and they would actually wash their feet and then dry their feet. All of this going on in the upper room. You see a table of fellowship at the Lord's Supper. You see the... A towel of humility, the washing of the saints' feet 
But also see a testimony of love. Look at verse number 34 and verse 35. Jesus is speaking. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one to another. A testimony of love. We are to love one another. We're not only to fellowship with one another. We're to love one another. For they say it's a a testimony under Christ uh, that we are a Christian because we are loving one another. You know that love a lot of times goes along with forgiveness. You have to love someone to forgive them. And you know, we get in spiritual trouble tonight if we don't forgive someone. We get in deep spiritual trouble because uh, of that iniquity of, or sin, if you will, of unforgiveness uh, uh, places a barrier between you and your God. And He's going to turn a deaf ear to you because there's sin in the way. There's unforgiveness in the way. And the Bible even tells us, if you're not going to forgive, He's not going to forgive. We've got to have a, a, a clean vessel and a clean heart. And, and boy, there's nothing wrong with a daily repentance going unto God through Jesus Christ Himself. Asking the Lord to forgive us of our shortcomings, our failures. Because we do come short daily. Amen. We fail Him daily, Brother Happ. There's, there's times that, uh, uh, a lot of times we don't mean to fail Him, but we do fail Him. Studying up on all those offerings in the Old Testament, you know, the, the meat offering and the sin offering, and you know, and it's just just endless offerings, it seemed like. And one of those offerings was for unintentional sin. And the other offering was for intentional sin. And back in the Old Testament, they had to bring the animals up and the priest had to uh, take those offerings and, and burn them and, 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 and all, everything was lined out in the Old Testament of how that was supposed to take place. But folks, today we've already had the supreme sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. There is no other offering. He became our supreme offering. And boy, he has his own testimony of love, doesn't he? Turn over, if you will, to Luke chapter number 22. The upper room, I've seen a special hour. The table of fellowship, the towel of humility, and the testimony of love. Now I'm going to see a sorrowful hour here in Luke 22. And that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter number 22. Let me just read verse number 39. Down through there just a little ways. Luke 22 and 39. And he came out and went as he wont and to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. But look at the approach right here in verse number 41. And he was drawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. 
It would do us good sometimes, folks, to draw us ourselves away from this world and just kneel down and pray. That's what is happening here. He uh, pulled away from the crowd just for a little while. Uh, uh, we're fixing to look at a very, very sorrowful hour in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he said he pulled away about a stone's throw and he kneeled down and he began to pray. Boy, that's a good lesson for you and I today. You know, there's a lot of people that just want to pray out loud to where they may be seen. But folks, I believe God honors that prayer of when we get into the prayer closet along with God. God uh, and alone out of the world's elements to where we can truly get in touch with God and He'll help us. It's a wonderful approach. Still away and pray, the song said. Still away and pray. But look at His appeal in verse 42 saying, Father, if thou will be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I thank God that he didn't remove the cup because we'd have no way of salvation. I seen a young preacher preach a message one time. Actually, me and him were doing a revival together at the Converse Free Will Baptist Church. I wasn't even the pastor. I hadn't even been preaching long. And... uh, uh, I believe Randall White was the pastor. That was the that, that's true. We were there, and you might have remembered David. I was there. Um, another young man from that from the church at that time was there, and uh, the boy that went over to um, Greer and pastor Chad West was there. You remember that? And uh, uh, we preached, uh, uh, all of us had time to preach uh, that week. And I can't really remember if we all three preached each night or if each one of us had a night or whatever it was. That's imperative. But the, 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 the message that uh, Brother Chad brought that night uh, was about that cup. And he had a cup and down inside that cup he had a mirror. And of course he read the scripture, Lord let this cup pass from me. Well, what was in that cup? And he passed that cup around and they looked in it and they seen themselves. Pretty good illustration, isn't it? That's always stuck with me because I was in that cup. Our souls were in that cup. But it wasn't the will of God to remove it from him. And he had to go to the cross. But he appealed. He appealed to his father. But look at verse number 43. The angels. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And then his agony in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now the Bible says his sweat was at were great drops of blood. Now, I've always, I've heard it preached a couple of different ways, and you may have different theories, but they say if a man was to bleed from his eyes as he cries, and if he was to sweat, Damon word, blood would be coming from his pores. They say the only way that that can happen is that a man's heart explodes, literally breaks. Um, I've heard that theory from uh, theological doctors down through the years. And they said, you know, it must have broke the heart of Jesus. Uh, knowing the sins of the world and the predicament he was going to have to do. And, 
and we know that he, he, he'd done it willingly. He didn't refuse to do it. But his heart was broken from the sins of the world. And, um, and some people can read that scripture and they'll say, no, it's just giving an illustration. There wasn't actually any blood there. Either way, his heart was broke for the world. His heart was broken for the sins of this world. And he, he began to suffer there in the Garden of Gethsemane because the Bible says he was in agony and he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was with great drops of blood falling down to the ground. A sorrowful hour. But let's move on to a shameful hour. Back to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. In verse number 25. We're moving before the crowd of Pilate's Hall. I call this a shameful hour. Because here, as we read through this scripture tonight, I know there's a lot of scripture reading, but I believe we've got to read it to get the effect of it. Reading this scripture tonight, you're going to see the release of a criminal. You're going to see the ridicule of the company that was there. And you're going to see the rejection of the Christ. Let's read it there in chapter number 18, beginning with verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, Therefore unto him art thou also one of his disciples. He denied it and said, I am not. <laughs> oh, lying Peter. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? See, somebody seen that incident where he went after one of them soldiers and he cut that soldier's ear off. Jesus reached down, picked his ear off, and put it back on his head. Yeah. Didn't even need a stitch or glue. Amen. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Then led uh, they Jesus from Cephas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not to the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but they that might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If ye were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. They pass in the buck. The Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which is spake signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. 
that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, listen to this, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into this world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Can you believe that these people wanted Barabbas a robber instead of the king of glory? And if you'll look at the lives of people, they're making the same decision today. They're choosing the sin of the world over the Son of God. Chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto him, Behold the man. They're actually mocking him. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. <laughs> made himself the Son of God. When you are God, you can do that. Amen. Amen. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Fulfilling the scripture in the book of Isaiah, he went quietly and willingly. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou? Not unto me. Knowest thou not have I power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, Thou art not Caesar's friend. Trying to pass the buck again. Whosoever maketh him a king speaketh against Caesar. Stir it up a little bit more, boys. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought forth Jesus and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was uh, the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. 
Pilate said unto him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him there, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. They released the criminal and they took the Savior. They ridiculed everything that was going on. They mocked the Lord. And then they completely reject him there in chapter 19, verse 4 through 16. But let's look at the cross. Before the crowd in Pilate's hall, we've seen a shameful hour. But on the cross of Calvary, we're going to see a suffering hour. Look at verse number 17. You're going to see the cross. And he bearing the cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. 18, you see the crucifixion. Where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. In other words, Jesus was in the middle. He was the middle man with a thief on each side. One of those thieves gained deliverance. And the other one did not. But look at the cries in verse 26 through verse 30. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. That would have been John, by the way. He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. He just didn't pass out from pain if he gave up the ghost. His soul left his body on the cross of Calvary. And then verse 31 through 37, you'll see the completion. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies uh, should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. They wasn't just going to let them hang there and die. They would had to hurry up and get the job done because that was going to violate their uh, so-called religious law. So they broke the legs of those that are on that old rugged cross. And of course, if you break the legs of those, uh, they cannot push up and uh, have the ability to breathe. Uh, they would have all of their weight coming down upon their diaphragm with no, um, no way of supporting at all. They may have hit the legs of Jesus, but they never did break a bone of Jesus. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. <laughs> uh, they could have hit him, but they didn't. They, I'm, new, I'm pretty sure he got hit enough to begin with. But uh, 
when they seen he is already dead, that was just fulfilling the scripture that he wouldn't have a broke bone. Isn't that wonderful how God planned that? There ain't no need to break his legs. He's already dead. (laughs) But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out of blood and water. And he saw that it bare record, and the record is true, that he that knoweth, he said it is true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another Scripture saith, they shall look on him who they pierce. That completed the crucifixion. Just throw one little thing in here that I like to mention when we come to this part in the Scripture. When that soldier pierced his side, the Bible says, out came blood and water. Now, a lot of people have debated what all that means, but if you talk to a doctor, it's actually proof that he shed every bit of blood in his body. From the time that they, he began to sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane to the walk up Calvary's hill to the, to the beating of the cat of nine's tails, the whipping, the ripping off the flesh, the punches to the body, the face, the crown of thorns on his head, the piercing of his hand and feet. He was bleeding profusely everywhere. But when they saw he was dead, they stuck that spear in his side. And doctors say for, them to, for him to be able to bleed... Of course, out come blood and water. They said they must have punctured a lung. Uh, because at the when an individual bleeds out, is what they call it, when they lose every drop of blood, they say there's a watery-type fluid that settles in the bottom of their lungs. And apparently when they pierce the side of Christ, they must have pierced his lung. Of course, this is just all theory. But they must have pierced his lung and then out came blood and water which signified that he shed every drop of blood in his body. And it makes for a good song. It even makes for good preaching. Just one drop of blood. Wash away your sin. That makes for good preaching. That makes for good singing. I'm not debating that tonight. But the truth is he did more than one drop. He gave it all. He gave it all. He gave it all for you. He gave it all for me. On the cross of Calvary, you see a suffering hour. Before the crowd, Pilate's Hall, you see a shameful hour. The Garden of Gethsemane, a sorrowful hour. And in the upper room, you see a special hour. The final hours of Jesus Christ. Next time we go into our study, it may be next Wednesday night. We will go to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll finish up with the ascension. Okay? You stand tonight. Sister, can you come just play something real softly? Just in case you may want to come to this altar tonight. I don't know everyone's heart. You may be lost and undone without Christ. That blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago on a cross for Calvary that was sufficient of saving me is still sufficient in saving you. He can help you tonight if you need help. Whatever the need may be. Father in heaven, God, we love you.
Thank you for your precious word. Lord, if there be a need, dear God, meet that need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to tarry long. I know